We here at Combo's Court stand in solidarity with those fighting against systematic racism and police brutality. Rest in peace, George Floyd. Enough is enough. What up, what up, what up everyone? Welcome to episode 168, you heard that right, episode 168 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Let me know how you feel about the show right in the comments section of your Apple Podcast app. Rate and review wherever you listen to Combo's Court, and share this episode with a friend via social media or word of mouth. Today's show, Alan Hahn of MSG Network's and ESPN Radio joins in. A great conversation with Alan. Can't wait for you guys to hear it. You could find Alan on Instagram at Alan Hahn. That's A-L-A-N-H-A-H-N. You know you could find me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Networks ESPN Radio. Welcome back to Combo's Court, man. Thanks. Good to be back. Alan, we were going to get to basketball, but we're going to start with justice for George Floyd. I think the autopsy reports confirms what we knew already, Alan. Um, this was a heinous murder right on camera. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, it's it's hard to it's hard to make sense of any of it, to be honest with you. Um, it's it's one of those stories that it doesn't matter what you cover, whether it's sports or whether it's politics, whether it's you know, uh, anything, music, uh, it affects you because it's it's a human element. So, you know, it's all you try to do is find what's the positive. And I think what the positive is, is you're hearing more voices and a more a diverse amount of voices that are speaking up now. And that is, you know, you reach that point where you're fed up. And I, and I think it's not just those affected, but maybe those who felt like they aren't affected, but have seen enough. And it's time to say something and do something. And you know, you always say in these situations, you don't want the person to die in vain. And uh, this certainly could be that case. And we, at least we hope so. We've got to get to a better place because obviously things like that we've seen too many times and it, it's got to stop. For sure. I'm with you. And I just really want to see those three other cops um, get a murder charge as well. Yeah, because we'll see. Yeah, we'll yeah. see. I know a lot of people are waiting on that too. And, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes from there. But, you know, I always feel like uh, you always tell your kids if, you know, you're in the car and somebody, you know, has drugs, then you're an accomplice. It doesn't matter if you didn't have any or didn't do any, don't matter. You're in the room, you're in the car, whatever it is, you're, you're going to be considered. They're complicit. Exactly. And so yeah. I would think the, the same thing would be of, of those who were standing there, especially that one cop who just stood there watching this happen and not saying or doing anything. And that's again, and hopefully it's a lesson that goes forward where maybe there'll be a time where uh, a partner decides, hey, that's enough. Like, what do you do? Like, don't, you know, knock it off. He's had enough. Well, yeah. you, get, you know, like that's got to happen too. Agree a hundred percent, Alan. Um, let's shift to you and media. I know a lot of your work has obviously been done remotely lately. Yeah. Do you feel there's a future where TV networks 
will have their on-air talent working remotely for the long haul? And do you feel radio and TV networks could survive like this? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's nothing like being in the studio, especially with TV. Obviously, the quality is just better. Right. Being next to someone while you're talking to them is certainly uh, it's a much more intimate connection. But I do think that this has opened up the ability to, you know, maybe get to a guest that you normally would have had to have scheduled and bring them in instead. Now, you, you know, you, have to bring, you don't have to send a camera somewhere. You just do this. You know, you just set it up and you can be a little bit quicker about it and a little bit easier about it. You can also save money, which obviously any industry is always trying to do. So I actually think we've learned a lot. I think you've learned a lot in education this way. I think a lot of offices and businesses who operate this way might say, why are we spending all this money on rent on a gigantic office? Why do we need right. maybe our people can, you know, work from home and you know, we can check in with them through this. We can keep up with what they're doing. And when you're and you're somebody that's, you know what, all right, I don't have to now make a commute. I can stay home. I can be maybe more available to my family than ever before because you know this is happening rather than being in an office or maybe as many days in a, a week in an office. So I actually think we've learned a lot. Um, with this yeah. technology and, and because of this technology, think about it. You know, I mean, I remember, you know, when I was, you know, when I was in college, there was no internet, you know, we didn't have that, you know, AOL, AOL instant messenger and mail came out like a year after or the year after I graduated college. And we were all like, Whoa, wait, I can send this. I can, I remember showing my mother writing an email. I like, watch this. And I just hit send. She's got it now. It's in her inbox. How about that? Like it was, you know, we're all excited. Like, think about that. Um, Email is the one thing that stuck around, actually. There's a lot of things that came and went. Yeah, it is. Because I guess the instant messenger became texting. So we didn't really need that anymore. Right. Um, But yeah, it's, it's the, it's, it's just, it was fascinating at the time. But I think now, and anybody that's my age or older, we all say the same thing. If this had happened in the pre-internet days, so many of, of our industries would have suffered. Like radio, we wouldn't be able to do radio that way. Right. You know, we wouldn't be able to do what the way we're doing it and how we're doing it um, without an internet signal. Um, and obviously, uh, we wouldn't be able to do TV like we're doing at MSG using this exact form of communication, Zoom, and they record it and they put graphics to it. Yeah, right. And you've right. got yourself a show. So, you know, this has been helpful and I do think it's been educational. For sure. Um, Alan, last time you were here, we were so optimistic about the Knicks, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? What, what, did you make, what, have, what did you make of this season, Alan? Well, I was one of the few people that really didn't have great optimism going into this year. Um, you know, they made a lot of moves. Um, we, we, I think we had some optimism last time you were here. Like, we liked some of the team. I, I was talking more about maybe the younger players. Right, uh, right. But... You know, I, I felt like the the roster itself was going to struggle, and it did. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of obviously changes need to be made, but definitely my optimism about the franchise was that it was heading in the right direction as far as right draft picks, not trading away picks, uh, the flexibility with the salary cap, and the ability to maneuver. And now, what's important is to develop the players you've already drafted. Still make some smart picks coming up in this draft. You're going to have a high pick. Um, and then figure out now that you're going to be getting, you have a whole new front office now and you're going to be probably getting a new coach and with that, okay, what direction are you going? Because, you know, you've had this constant 
okay, now you're going to go with vets. Now you're going to go with young players. Now you're going with vets. Now you're like, let's pick one and stick to it. And so it's been the last four years, it's been built through the draft. And now I'm curious, are we going to stick with that? Is that the plan? Or is it now going to go back to what I remember from 2010, which is, nope, got to get stars because that's the way you survive and that's the way you're relevant. And, you know, yeah. the last five years, the Knicks just have not been relevant in the NBA circles. And, you know, with a new regime, they want to have their own imprint on the team. So I'm telling you, I mean, I'm real curious to see what this offseason, when they get to it, is going to look like for the Knicks. Because we're seeing already some pretty significant changes happen in the front office. For sure. Have you been paying attention to the draft prospects? Because I have. So I was wondering mm-hmm. where you are with that. Yeah, okay. all right, well, you tell me who you like. Okay. And I'll go from there. I, I think we'll bounce off each other on this. Go ahead. Okay. I think Anthony Edwards would be on the top of my big board if I had one. Okay. But the Knicks specifically, I could see someone making the argument for LaMelo because I think it might be a better fit with Mitchell and RJ. Um, obviously, James Wiseman wouldn't be the right pick for this one, even though I think he could go number one to a team like the Warriors. So just going through all that, what are your thoughts? Um, Edwards, to me, obviously, if you have RJ, you know, like I that's mean, what Edwards I'm saying. Yeah. Really but Edwards also scares me, man. Because yeah? Yeah, because if you watch him in games and, and really get a feel for him, like in a full game. Disappears? Oh, my God. He turns it on. He turns it off. I mean, he's – here's the thing. He, like, he's one of those guys where he's good enough to get you fired. Like, he's got that ability that when he's feeling it, he could dunk on anybody. Like, he's got that aggressive, I'm going to carry you. I'm going to carry the team. I'm, I can go up against anyone physically probably ready to play in the NBA, which is rare for a guy who's a one-and-done. You know, there's all those things about him that just your eyes just get wide, like, whoa, like this kid, you know, he's got, if he's got a fire in him, he could be special. But then there's a little bit of that, dare I say, Deion Waiters in him, where he knows he's so good. So much more physically talented, though. I'm talking about up here. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Neck up, I'm talking. Like, got you. I know I can do this stuff and I don't have to at times. And I don't have, like, there's a bit of a, attitude that even he admits he has that troubles me when you're bringing them into a, a first of all high lottery pick teams lack veteran leadership for the most part right usually you're going to draft a kid real high and he's going to be very important to you right out of the gate right and I'm afraid to give him that kind of uh, value and importance I'd rather draft him onto a team with a couple of vets that'll kind of like get him in check show him the way maybe even break him as they say um, he worries me tons and tons of physical talent but the neck up is a big part of it too for me. I worry about that with him. Uh, Lamelo is my favorite player in this draft for so many reasons. He's first. I'll start with the fact that he's played against grown men now for two straight years. He's played professional basketball against grown men. Don't overestimate that. Don't underestimate it. I should say that is something that is real valuable for a player coming into this league because they're overwhelmed when they come out of the college game and they're used to playing against guys they're just stronger than. There's a few guys that are going to be high in the lottery that you can look at and say they're going to struggle because the physicality is going to get them early. Tyrese Halliburton might be one of those guys. 100%. That's exactly what I'm thinking yeah. of. There's so much about his game I love, but, man, he's got to get some weight. He's got to get some strength in him, and, and, and he's going to have to adjust to the physicality of the game. But right. with LaMelo, feel for the game off the charts. 100%. 100%. A, handle, a handle to me that is, like, like underestimated 
he's his 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 ball control is comfortable. He's so comfortable dribbling the basketball. It's such a natural thing for him that I feel like even under pressure, I don't see him, you know, losing control, losing his handle, things like that. It's just natural to him, and that's something he's probably just worked on his whole life. It's just become like part of his hand, the basketball. Um, and then the most important thing, if you're talking about the Knicks, is because of the family, because the brother's already in the NBA, and because he's played pro, I don't see him coming to a, a market like New York and being overwhelmed. I mean, he's had such a circus going around around his life, AAU games. He's had people following him with cameras since he's 16 years old. Reality he, Facebook shows. Absolutely. Like, you, you really <laughs> think him coming to New York is going to be like, whoa, this is a beast. No, he's going to be like, yeah, this is pretty much life. I'm used to this. So I do, that's why there's so much about him I like. Now, shooting percentages worry me. Uh, I do think he's a better shooter than he showed in the pro game. And I think in time you'll see it because he's got a little bit of a funky shot. But many of these kids do. If you see him in this year's draft, they all got funky releases. Even Tyrese, like we were just like, – Tyrese say, is yeah. like Reggie Miller, uh, Kevin Martin type stuff. You know, yeah. they, they made it work. So that's why I like LaMelo. Uh, a guy – you mentioned Wiseman. I think Wiseman would be real interesting – Interesting if he if he proved that he had a, a, a enough of a game that he could stretch it, because I think him and Mitchell Robinson actually could be pretty scary. We don't have enough of a sample size, though. That's the problem. That's exactly it. I don't know his game. I don't know if it's a comfortable. Can he? Can he? Is he a spacer pretty comfortably? I know he's not a great rebounder, but I don't think I need him to be that. But I'm just saying, like, if you're a little bit later on and he's still on the board, maybe that's what you do. But maybe I've got other players. You didn't mention Killian Hayes. And there's yeah. something about great feel him. for the game great feel I'm for the game telling you there's something about him that when i watched him and i know right away we go whoa, whoa, whoa another kid from france another guard from france i'm not doing it but i gotta remind people he's american he just he grew up in france because his father was a pro baller and i love the pedigree but this dude talk about physical ability and physical strength like his body is strong that is so critical in today's game Good feel, like you said. Great feel. Good shooter. Um, I mean, the, his vision, his ability to pass the basketball. There's, there's just so much about him that I like, and I need to see more because there's not a lot of full game video to watch of him. It's mostly highlights. A uh, little bit of long, like long game, like where they go through a segment of a game. And that's a high level he's playing at too. 100%. Yeah, higher than higher than Frank played when Frank was. Yes. Doing. Yes. So you know, that's another name. That like I've got, you know, it's like I, I keep going back to him. And it's all I feel like the physicality. Halliburton is a great story. Um, he's a leader. He's, and he's and he's a better shooter right now than Killian and Lamello. Oh, he's a he's a tremendous shooter. Yeah, like, yeah. And and percentages tell me everything. But I watched him, you know, at times when he's going to the basket or he's getting into the lane or he's playing defense, and he's just like, Boy, you put some rocks in your pockets, kiddo. Like you just don't have enough weight. And they're going to use that against you. And, and he's going to struggle just like any, you know, these the, the smaller, skinnier guys did when they first came in the league. Uh, but it doesn't mean he's not going to be a good pro. He could be a good pro. The reason I'm so high on Edwards is, on Edwards is because I watch his game and I just think about it in, with NBA space. And I'm just like. Yeah, explosive. Yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Yeah. But, but watch him off the ball defensively. Watch him. When Same with LaMelo, though. Right? True. True. But. I guess it's the attitude that bothers me more. I've seen interviews with him, so I've seen him talk, and I've seen him admit 
Yeah, there are times I'll I'll just turn right. it off for a while. Yeah, right. I think I've seen that. You're like, what? And and I'll watch a full game, and I'll just see a guy who probably knows I can whenever I want do whatever I want. So he kind of like just puts it in cruise control, and I'm thinking to myself, your team wasn't that good, dude. Like, how much does winning matter to you? If I'm making you a top five pick or even a number one pick, winning's got to matter. And your team sucked, and you were fine with it. Like, I got my numbers. Well, who the hell cares about your numbers? How about helping us win? You know, like, I feel like that's a part that I think is overlooked when you're picking top five. You could take a guy with tremendous talent, but is he a winner? And if you're taking top five, that's somebody that you really is hoping is going to be a, a you know, a critical player, in the future, a foundational player for your franchise. And, and that's when I wonder, I, yeah, okay, you can go for the talent, hope you can coach him into wanting to be a winner or maybe put him in your culture, as a lot of guys say. But guys like that can also be culture killers. That's what I worry about if you're going top five with a player like that. Doesn't mean he's not talented. I'm just saying. I worry about that impact of how much do you really care about winning? Well, if you're right, then I'm wrong, Alan. <laughs> and I've been, I've, been, I've been saying that Anthony Edwards will be the best player in this draft. Let's see, let's see what happens, well, he man. Be, I don't know, he could be. It's not a great draft. But what I'm, and also what I'm telling you, like what I'm, what I'm breaking down is not a physical thing, right? Of course, of course. So, and, and I'm doing it based on pretty much speculation, but it's also based on experience. The players I've seen drafted in the top 10 in the 20 plus years I've followed this league and covered this league. And there's so many times when you see that player going into the draft, you're like, damn, that guy's got so much talent or this guy's, he's just, you know, what an incredible athlete. Have you ever seen it the other way though, where you had that concern and then it turned out totally different? It's a great question. I think, I think even T-Mac had that look in him, his rookie year, right? Well, he came in as an 18 year old though. <laughs> so much well, these guys, these guys are that young, Alan, right? Yeah. Um, not I'm, saying that Anthony Edwards will be T Mac. I was just making oh, no, no, I know. Yeah. yeah, Tracy McGrady is pretty special. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm trying. I am trying to think of a player that came in and you're like, you wonder how much he cares about winning, and then he turned out to be a great winner. And I got to be honest with you, not I'm a lot. I'm coming up empty. I mean, there was, you know, like how many times did people talk I'm about? I'm trying to think of someone too like that. Let's, let's talk about guys who were physically just dominating their their level, like college, right? And I'm thinking right. of. Uh, uh, usually it's like guys who played the four in college who ended up being threes and they just couldn't, they couldn't do it. They were top yeah. 10 picks and it just, but you know, then there's, then there's guys to me like OJ Mayo who again, super talented, so much hype about OJ Mayo, yeah. so much hype, super talented. What happened? Right. And, and teams had soured on him. Remember he kind of fell a bit in the draft and there was some thought that people made mistakes and then you realize he's not in the league. He's not even in the league right now. So that's, that's why I go back to that. It's, it's not a like, you know, I love how sometimes people say, oh, you're a hater. What am I hating for? I want talent. I want, to, I want a guy who's going to help me win. But there's things you see and you just go, ah, I've seen this before. And that's, that's scary. I'd rather go. See, I've heard, I've heard college coaches say this when they recruit players. I'd rather get B talent with an A mentality than the A talent with the B mentality. Because you'll win more. Well, could I argue that the Knicks of the 90s were the hardest working team in NBA history and they couldn't get it done? <laughs> he ran into the greatest player ever. But, okay. <laughs> well, but are they, the, they – I think they're the hardest working team in NBA history. Well, they were because of the way they were coached. Right. And, that, and that's a special thing because – let's talk about Patrick Ewing. 
Patrick Ewing was an A mentality. He let you coach him. That's why he loved Jeff so much. You know, he obviously he respected right. Pat. You know, that's that's he responded to coaching. You know, even Rick Patino responded to it. Um, he had grown frustrated after Patino when they went from coach to coach and changing up, and he wanted out of there. Then Riley came in and set him straight. Don Nelson came in, tried to change the game. Pat wasn't hearing it. Like you're not reaching me, but Jeff Jeff reached him. I think that stuff's important. So Pat was a worker, and that set a tone. Everybody else who walked in that locker room, I, I talk to all the former players all the time. And they all say the same thing. How could you show up at practice and not work as hard as this guy? This guy's sweating buckets. You know, you felt obligated. Like, all right, that's what he's doing. And the guys that came in and didn't want any part of that, they were out pretty quickly because they could tell. You, were, you weren't part of the team. Like, you just felt like an outsider. So you had guys like him, self-made men like John Starks and Anthony Mason. Talk about workers. They, they, they had to be workers. So they had the right personalities. But the argument, of course, was, the Knicks never put stars around Patrick. It was hard to. Because well, John Starks was an all-star one year, right? Um, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I know what you mean. I know what you, you mean. Know, they had, they, you know, I'm talking about, you know, you go out and get a second star to play right. with them. And the hard thing to do is to find somebody that wanted to work as hard as him and, and live up to that. And that was difficult. So, you know, that's why you could say the hardest working team, but how did it work out? Well, but that was the mentality that they built. And that's why Harper Oakley too. They had so many guys that worked. You know, there's a great example too. The trade for Harper, like, like doc rivers, the doc rivers, the the trade for for, that brought in doc rivers was actually for Charles Smith. You know, doc was part of that trade with Mark Jackson, but doc was such a great fit because he had the same mentality. You remember his years in Atlanta. That was such a good team in the late, in the late eighties. And he was the right mentality, toughness, you know, where he was from, obviously it just fit perfect. And then because he got hurt, they had to find another point guard. And, and I mean, you're bringing it Derek Harper. It's almost like, okay, same mentality, that A-type worker. You know, I'm, I don't need the shine, but don't disrespect me because you'll get my best. I'm coming at you. You know, he got into the fight in the Chicago series because that was all about him stepping up and, and uh, you know, having that pride that I think fit perfect to the environment they were building there. They had a guy, they had Tony Campbell there for a short period of time. He didn't fit at all. But they got him out quickly. He was like all about his minutes and I'm not doing this. And Pat's like, all right, well, you're not part of what we're doing. So that I think is what was the identity of that team. And I always say this when we talk about the Knicks and rebuilding and all that stuff. And I keep saying the same thing. Give me an identity first. Don't, don't get players and then say, this is who we're going to be. Say, this is who we want to be. And then get players to fit that. So now everybody's like, all right, this makes sense. So when you make a move for a player, it doesn't become like a random, like, whoa, whoa, why would you just put Andrea Bargnani on this roster? He has nothing to do with any of the guys. Like, he doesn't fit in with any of the people on this team that you have. Right. How do you bring in a guy that's opposite of your locker room? How's that going to fit? Well, the same thing has to happen now as you're building something. And I see R.J. Barrett, to me, as that piece where you go, okay, if we can get more personalities like him, he will thrive. And now we'll know exactly the identity of the team. He definitely works hard. I mean, he's not, he's, he's not the most skilled out of the younger generation of Correct. star talent, but works super hard for sure. Alan, you mentioned Mark Jackson. I'd like to hear your thoughts on why you feel he hasn't had a coaching job since the Warriors. Uh, first of all, if, if I'm him, I'd be selective. So it's not like he should True. play his name in every coaching availability. I think for him, 
uh, you know, there's few places that he'd want to coach. I think LA would be one. Uh, obviously, New York would be another one. Um, Indiana, if that ever opened up, I think makes sense because he spent some time there and had great success. But, you know, I don't see him as somebody that you just throw your name uh, in the ring for, you know, Atlanta or uh, I don't even know who else is, you know, anybody looking for an opening, you know, like Detroit. Like that, those, are, those would be awkward jobs for him. Like he doesn't need the job. And in New York, of course, you know, there's a lot of pressure because of who he is and then the job. And, you know, if he came in. Are they interested in him now? I haven't heard his name mentioned as a candidate uh, for a while. I've heard people suggest that he should be a candidate, but I haven't heard uh, his name brought up. So it just could be the direction they want to go in. You know, I, I don't know. Like, because I, I had brought up Jeff Van Gundy's name too and figured let's complete the circle. And yet that's another name that I haven't heard, you know, really a lot of uh, reverb. You know, the most I've heard is what everybody's heard is, you know, obviously Tom Thibodeau, who's got right. a relationship with Leon Rose. Um, and he was a former Knicks assistant coach. And it's a job that he's privately, you know, told a lot of people he's always wanted. He's thought about it. He loves the big market. Um, but it would have to, to me, to bring a guy like that, you'd probably want to get more veterans in because we saw how things went in Minnesota with him. And I don't know if young players really. I was telling know, a friend that today. Yeah. So you have that name. Uh, that that's an obvious one. They they actually do want to show Mike Miller a lot of respect and at least give him the uh, the, the respect of an interview and hear him out. Uh, but then my favorite candidate of all, for personal reasons, is Kenny Atkinson. I just think if you're going to stay the course with a rebuild and 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 developing players, yeah, he is by far the best coach you could hire in that in that environment. And and you can you can guarantee that your team will get better. Because we just saw it happen in Brooklyn. Yeah, I do like. I do want to see Mark Jackson coaching the NBA again. Out of all those guys, I think Kenny has the best idea of how to work with the modern NBA player. Yeah, he, he gets well. First of all, again, point guard and point the modern guard. NBA game. Yeah, well, yeah. the three pointers, the spread yeah. off, it's a lot of right. that stuff. It's up tempo. Right. Um, I do think that makes sense. But he also understands players because he played point guard. He understands the game from that position. And he's, he turned guys you never even heard of into legitimate NBA players. And it's not like he did it himself, but he understands how to create the environment and empower his coaches and his players. He, he understands how to create that type of feeling within a room of everyone here has a chance to play if you just put in the work and you'll get better if you work as hard as I do, setting that tone. That's why I think you're right. I think he fits because also he understands that it's not all about making rules and being dis a disciplinary and telling players what to do. Yes. He also understands how to talk to his players because he was one for a long time and he gets that stuff. And he was also an assistant coach who was a development coach for a long time. He's the guy that spent all those hours on the court with those players, you know, well, well before practice, well after practice, well before games. So he knows what everybody in the room is thinking and how it feels to be that guy. Alan, who would you say is the greatest score the Knicks have ever, have ever had? I, I think it, I think it goes with, Two guys I could think of, but who would you go with? You got two guys. Well, I, I think pa I think pa I think Patrick Ewing's in the mix, uh, but I think but I think Mello and Bernard King. That's two. There's one more you're missing. I mean, Patrick Ewing scored a lot of points for the Knicks. Yeah, but um, the greatest scores. I I would say Patrick was is a great scorer, a great shooting big man. But if you're saying scores like guys that were just insane go-to scores. Mello, Bernard King, and who? Mello, Bernard King, and Richie Guerin, way before our time. 
Okay. Richie Guerin put up 50, like he, this guy put up 50, like it was nothing, you know, at a time where not people weren't scoring 50, like you didn't have a three point line back then in the, in the late fifties, early sixties. Now those teams were bad teams, but Richie Guerin, man, like on a given night, he could give you 40, he'd put 50 on you, um, scoring any different way possible, had that scorers mentality. And I never obviously saw him play, but I've done a couple of history books on the Knicks. So I've done a lot of research on him. I've talked to, him, I've talked to him. I've talked to players that have played with and, and against him. And it's, it's, oh, that's a name that comes up a lot when you talk about that era. Ask any of the players from that era uh, who tell you about, you know, the game then. They'll always bring up Garen. They'll, they'll talk about how this guy could flat out score. So, you know, we got to – you always got to keep in mind like the uh, pre-modern history. History of the game. <laughs> yeah. And a guy like him, man. Uh, he's up there amongst the, the best scorers to ever put on a uniform. Who you got between Bernard King and Mello? It's like, it's like choosing between my favorite kids. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you what, you got to go with Bernard because of his efficiency. How Bernard, like, Bernard was maniacal about scoring. He once told me a story about how the way he would practice is on the court, uh, like, because he did a lot of his work on the wing off the box, right? Because back then, that was everything was done on the baseline. Of course. He had yeah. a grid of nine spots. So three dots, three dots, right? And he would make these dots on the court in a, in a box, in a grid of his area where he liked to do his scoring. And he would practice shots from every single spot until he perfected it. So he called it muscle memory. So in a game, if I was on my spot, it was going in. Like, I never had to think about shooting or where the basket was. I just knew where it was because I was on my spot. And I had practiced it so many times that I didn't have to think. I just did it. Like, you think about it. He said, we were sitting in a conference room, and he, show, he was talking to me about this. And in my head, I'm like, how much of a psycho do you have to be that you think something like that and then go out and say, okay, there's my grid every single day. I'm practicing that grid, and that's my game. Like, he was – that's how – he thought the game, but he was so efficient with his scoring that I think that's what makes it, you know, if you're going to put him versus Mello, I would take Bernard mainly because of the efficiency in which he scored and the fact that he could get to his spots and he was that maniacal about the way he could score. And by the way, God never really took threes. You know, Mello became a really good three point shooter. Whereas Bernard, I don't even know if he ever took a three. I have to look it up, but you know, you just, he didn't have to. But could you imagine in today's game, Bernard, with that ability to score the way he scores on the mid post, and yet also having that ability to knock down a three uh, as well if you were going to give him space? Yeah. Dangerous. So, yeah. Something lot, special about the way he scored. A lot of those guys that, you know, they say didn't shoot the three, they would adapt and start making threes in this area, you know? Oh, just... but Larry Bird, again, if he played yeah. in the mentality of today's game, Larry Bird would have been the. You know, I mean, he's more, he's the greatest shooter in the history of the game, if you ask me. He, he'd have been all time. You would have him over Steph? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, I saw Larry Bird in his prime. I was a kid. And th there was no one more automatic than him. No one. I mean, he was insane the way he shot the basket. For sure. For sure. You know, and, and yet, again, that's a time where they didn't really shoot a lot of threes. Well, he, he definitely, to me, uh, it's not even close between when you talk about all-around player and him and Steph. I was just talking about shooting. Yeah, no, no. that clear. Yeah, no, 100%, 100%, but, but you just, if you, if you watched him in his prime, it just, just one of those guys that, you know, and again, it's not taking, 
people always think like, oh, now that's disrespectful to Steph. Somebody has to be one and somebody has to be two. That's just the way it is. And Bird, to me, watching him play, there was just – there was no one smoother with the, jump, with the jump shot, no one with a higher, quicker release, like confident, almost impossible to block it, and yet he barely jumped five inches off the ground. So his, he was his, the best. His peak was ridiculous. I think people underestimate how good he was when he was at his best. Yeah, he could dunk on you. People forgot that. He'd, right. go, up, he'd go baseline and dunk on you. He'd go down the middle and dunk on you. The reason why he stopped dunking on people because it hurt. Because yeah. he would go, he'd go up for like reverse dunks, he get knocked down. Because back then, obviously, it's no blood, no foul, and you know it would hurt. He kept landing on his back. He kept landing on his like you know it, it it was painful. So he just decided instead, I'll just you know throw up little layups and stuff. But yeah, yeah, early like in his prime, yeah, he was nasty. You know, like they had those guys that position in the eighties where you had Mark Aguirre, Dominique Wilkins, you had Bernard, you had Larry Bird. Uh, Adrian Dantley, like every night you were going up against a killer. I mean, it was special, that position. And um, and Bird was the best of them. Before we get out of here, Alan, uh, I wanted to ask you this. Uh, there's, a, there's, some, there's a lot of young talent on the Knicks. Alan, who would you go with if you wanted to, you know, just look forward into the future? Who would you go with as some of the young talent that you would want to keep? Not naming anybody you wouldn't want to keep. I just <laughs> wanted <laughs> I want to know who you would keep before we get out of here. Well, I think that your 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 untouchables to me your your uh, your cornerstone type pieces that I think for sure are R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson. Yes, um, Mitchell like R.J. is more of the serious hard worker type, right? Obsessed, uh, real good mentality, a mentality. You know, he's going to be a reason why you win one day. That you could just feel it, and he'll get. He's going to get better and better. I feel there's a lot of his game that. He knows he's he's he hasn't shown yet, but Mitchell Robinson is somebody that people look at and think he's kind of goofy, you know. That maybe not me. Serious. I think he's got an A mentality. He's got a winner's mentality because if you've ever watched him closely in a game, watch when like one thing doesn't go his way, when an opponent might get like a cheap bounce on him, or an easy rebound on him, or get by him. Boy, he gets mad. He takes it so personal. And that tells me this kid's about winning more than anything else. He hates losing, hates it. And I need players like that. I need players who hate losing a battle for a rebound, let alone a game. Hate losing a tip off at the beginning of the freaking game. I mean, think about like when you get mad because you lost the opening tip, that's a guy I want on my team. Because you're not thinking about stats. You're not thinking, oh, that's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Every single competition matters to you. And I can build with players like that. And he, he to me, is, an, is more that mentality I need. And, boy, I wish they could pour all of that into Kevin Knox. And maybe this time off for him will help if he can get stronger and more physically stronger and mature a little bit. Do you think he lacks will, Kevin Knox? Is that what it no, is? No, no, I know exactly what he's going through because it's something I felt. It's just a, it's, it's knowing what you want to do and realizing you can't. And then you just you hold back. Physically, you just know like it's not there. Like, and, and I know it's different. He's young. And so he's, his lower body isn't strong enough to do some of the things he needs to do at the pro level that he got away with at the college level. And, you know, there's this feeling that happens. I don't know if you ever had an injury. Like a, yeah. Oh, yeah. ACL. Okay, me too. Okay. So you understand that. So for me, 
my whole game was about verticality. Like I just was a jumper. I could leap, I could dump pretty good. Uh, I could run the floor. Like for a guy my size, I got down the floor real fast and loved finishing on the break and just loved that just quick bounce stuff, you know, tip right. back rebounds and all that stuff. Like that was, I thrived that way. I, I was never going to break you down one-on-one. -on -one. I didn't have a great handle. I wasn't that great of a shooter. So for me, that's how I impacted the game. And when I blew out my ACL the first time, I thought, well, that'll all come back. So the first time I blew out my ACL, I, everything was fine. And I thought I'd come back from it. And I did. And I blew out again. That second time, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't get off the ground like I used to. I, I didn't have the quick bounce. The second bounce was non-existent. Um, any of the stuff I would do running the floor, I would be timid running the floor. Traffic, no way was I going up in traffic. And anymore. a lot of it is mental, too. It, it, it is, right. Yeah. It starts with trying it once and going, oh, it's not there. And yeah, once yeah. in your head and you realize, like, I can't, like, I can't do that. You hold back. And so when I, that's such a familiar feeling that when I watch Kevin sometimes, I just go like, yeah, he doesn't try, he doesn't believe he can do it. Like, he doesn't believe he can get there. He doesn't want to look bad or he doesn't want to look stupid. I, I think for him, his lower body, once it gets strong, and he's going to. The kid's a size 20 sneaker. Like, he's going to get bigger. I mean, he's 6'9". He's going to fill out. He's going to get bigger. Hopefully, he's in the gym doing that. And maybe all of a sudden, that physical confidence shows up. He walks around like he's a man instead of like a little boy playing with men. Yeah. That can change everything for him. So, I'm curious to see with him. I'm not ready to, to completely shut down on him. But, like I said, if you're going to ask me who's keepers, I named you the two guys, mainly because of the A mentality that they bring. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you got to be patient with some of these guys too, like how you said with Kevin. And I think this draft is going to show that some of these guys might not be stars right away, but I think down the line some of them can be. Alan, great stuff. I see you're doing a lot of IG lives lately, so let them know where they can find you on Instagram and everywhere else. Yeah, Ahan MSG on Instagram. Bart and I do the IG lives before every show, and we have some fun with it. It's pretty cool. And then uh, on Twitter, it's just Alan Han. I don't tweet nearly as much. I just like to read what people say there. But uh, the, <laughs> Me the too. <laughs> Twitter thing has sort of become that, you know, when there's a game going on, I'll, I'll give you my thoughts. But uh, everything else, save it for Instagram. Alan, great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show. Talk soon. You got it, brother. Thank you for listening to Combos Court. Punch down on that subscribe button if you haven't already. And big thanks to Alan for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation, let me know how you feel about this episode right in the comments section of your Apple podcast app rate and review wherever you listen to combos court and share this episode with a friend i would greatly appreciate it be on the lookout for episode one six nine combo out